Good afternoon. Hope you're well. Hope you're joining. Hope you can hear me. All the usual hopes. I did a show on Monday, my first back after a week off. I think that's the first week, full week I've managed to have off tuning it over. Although we had a little bit of a break didn't we, at Christmas time. Uh, but really enjoyed being back and talking with you, especially because we didn't have a guest on. And it got me to thinking that often these things are like, well, what should we talk about today? And I'm trying to feel the pulse of what's hot in, in our industry. And having had a week off, I was a bit rusty. And so it was kind of like, right, let's just talk about what's been on my mind. And you, you guys seem to respond fairly well to that. So I did the same and applied the same theme today and realized that I wanted to do something clinical. So I was like, right, what body part we're going to do? I'll talk about what condition. And I realized one of the things that's been very much on my mind clinically is that we ended up doing a podcast with Tonya Vincent, who's a professor studying your clinical and oh, sorry, she's a, a research rheumatologist and uh, academic rheumatologist and she was talking about OA and, and the latest and greatest in that and she was on the last Physio Matters podcast and it ended up being quite controversial because of what she came and said. Um, now she'd been uh, on a podcast, uh, a different podcast um, uh, and we'd spotted that via Jack March who's obviously the rheumatology physio and, and uh, key, my, my partner in crime when it comes to this stuff and so He'd noticed that and, and said, look, it's game-changing stuff. Some of this research really throws off some of the heuristics of which we've been relying on in the, in the uh, contemporary practice or what we thought was contemporary practice. And so we then got around to Physio Matters. Now, some of that got tidied up, but not all of it. You know, it still begged a lot of questions. And so the audience noticed that too. Jim did a brilliant um, interview with her uh, and, and brought a lot of that stuff to the fore. So I was going to talk about that and just talk about my own musings in that direction. Uh, and I know many of you have, uh, have been feeling a bit confused and conflicted and frustrated and, and want to challenge some of it and want to challenge us on it. Um, and that's what uh, this is all about and what it's for. If you haven't listened to Physio Matters, the last Physio Matters podcast yet, then I disown you. I disavow that behavior and I, I, can't, I can't stand for it and it won't be abided around here. So unfortunately, no, you need to vacate this live stream, go and listen to it and repent and you will regret it. So uh, yeah, no, no, uh, no excuses. Uh, but if you uh, if you have, then you'll know exactly what I'm on about. It's a bloody confusing one. Um, now, I then, about three minutes ago, I then send a text with the titles of what I'd planned for this and, uh, and, and sent it to Jim, who's literally just been teaching one of his rheumatology courses uh, with a uh, fishing bait emoji saying, I'm talking about this and sent him the guest link. And uh, even though he's a busy man and has other things to do, but if ever there was a topic for him to join me on at a moment's notice, it's this one. <laughs> and so he's like, fine, I'm, I'll join. Um, Jim, bit of a bit of a fraught one, this, isn't it? Like, how are you feeling about the whole OA knee situation? How much did it rock your world? And, and, and have you managed to find your feet again? Yeah, I think um, as I've thought about it over the last few weeks, because obviously I did, I did the interview a few weeks before it, it then aired. So I've had a bit more time than everybody else to sort of digest it as well um and i think you know a lot of it is is really fascinating you have to take it with the caveat of um that a lot of the research that was talked about in the podcast was in um was in mice studies rather than human studies uh, human joints so there are some differences there um so we do need to take that and 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 a lot of what um, professor vincent was talking about we can't really do a lot about clinically because we can't measure it so I think it's something we need to keep on top of. We need to understand the research that's coming out. But actually, does it change what we're doing at the moment? No, 
I don't think it does because, you know, if we take that she was talking about sheer forces, for example, which, you know, before we, me and you have talked about it, we might call them micro movements or however we might term them. Um, we can't measure them. So how do we know that our, our interventions are impacting on them if someone has the sheer for those sheer forces? How do we know someone has inappropriate sheer forces? And we know that we're given all of the other research we've ever seen in humans. There's going to be a variation on what can be. So one human will tolerate a huge amount of sheer forces and never get OA, and another human will to tolerate a small amount. So what's the variation? And it, there's so many unanswered questions about them. I just think we just need to know that it exists, the research, and keep on top of it until such time we can start using it clinically. What do you think, what, what does it leave in play and what does it blow wide open? So I want to just give a couple of examples that I'm still wrestling with. Like, we, it had been contentious to say wear and tear because it was then seen as being, well, no, it's, 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 it's just that the mechanical load forces are somewhat irrelevant, wholly irrelevant, or less relevant, or not relevant enough to use that sort of terminology. Um, is, that, is that something that's still in play? Um, is it still known to be more, more genetic and bad luck than it is sort of um, use? Um, you know, where, where, what, the, what, what sort of stands for what we thought even a few months ago, but, you know, between me and you, I don't mean the royal we, I mean what we, we thought was contemporary practice and what we would, you know, we'd, I think, back, admittedly for me, a few months back, I would probably, I wouldn't have vilified, but I'd have certainly think that someone was, thought that someone was behind the times if they were suggesting that essentially just the torsional forces at the knee were the thing that was rubbing the cartilage down over time. The more you've done that over the course of your life, that's the cause of, narrow cause of OA. Now, I still, from what I gather, I don't think that's all the way back in, but it's certainly like it's begging that question again. Where's you, where are we at? Yeah, I I think this is one of those cases where it's accidentally correct. So they've is it, they've they've done they've gone they someone's gone uh, if they're saying wear and tear they they're adding two and two and making nine and nine is actually the correct answer. Um, but the the reasoning process for getting there is incorrect. So my understanding from the from that podcast was. So if we take it, you know, we really simplify down what we mean by wear and tear, which would be literally your knee is like a car tire. And the more you use it, the more that cartilage rubs away, um, as would happen with a car tire. And even you could extend that analogy that if you did loads of sideways sliding on a car tire, like a shear force, it would rub away more quickly. Um, then the outcome is the same as what we're talking about, where you get cartilage thinning and poorer cartilage quality. But I still, I don't think that's the mechanism at play. So understanding what's, trying to understand what Professor Vincent was saying is that these different types of forces generate different reactions within the cartilage. So you, as if you would have a, a positive influence through loading and a negative influence through loading with the way that these um, these gene triggers are turned on and off and what that means for um, chondrocyte um, um, activity, etc. So these, these right. shear forces aren't triggering the um, aren't triggering the chondrocytes to behave appropriately, whereas whereas for one of a better term, more um uh direct, direct loading, loading yeah would trigger them so rather than rather than it being and i i tried to get across what i was thinking about this as on the fly um and i bet that came across was my brain going at ten thousand miles an hour during the podcast was 
rather than thinking it like an active wearing away, it's more of a lack of restoration. So a bit like we would think about sort of in, um, I would term it like osteoporosis. In osteoporosis, you don't have an active, usually outside of some other thing, you don't have an active bone loss. You have a loss of restoration of bone turnover. So you, you turn over this much bone, you replace it with this much, um, and therefore you end up with less bone uh, mass. And I think that's a better way of thinking about it rather than an active use and reduction so but then that does leave some unanswered questions to me as in so is it purely you know how is if, if you if you're doing the appropriate loading but then the shibshia what's that doing um and how well, it is could that? be somewhere but it could be something it could be something in between couldn't it like what, what the predominant it's not going to be a binary but we we to see if you're right with this analogy not on a mechanistic level with regards to chondrocytes i don't i don't think this would apply anywhere near the same degree but we are kind of comfortable with the logic that occurs within tendons like if you were to just have like if you just to do do lots of lots of sprinting lots of plyometric work and going really fast particularly what we've come to know and what seth o'neill speaks well on is this notion of which if your musculature isn't strong enough to be obviously supportive and shielding of the tendon therefore it will you'll get this uh, locking on cramping and style effect on a micro level of say a, a calf musculature and then the tendon has to do all that work especially if the muscle's not not tolerating it that's a mechanical force going through the tendon that can be deleterious to both its structure and function and it's and it's therefore you know plus or minus symptoms but then equally slow heavy loading we've kind of come to know the mechanism of, of response there is is you know contentious um but we accept that both our loads and one can be detrimental one can be hopefully helpful are we in is that does that analogy carry to where your head's at with with oa I think it does. And it also gives, you know, when we talk about the other things that would lead to joint instability and as a proxy, therefore, more instability like ACL ruptures, we know there's a huge burden of osteoarthritis once you have an ACL rupture, um, meniscal tears, those kinds of things. I think that carries as well. Um, it, And then you've got added on top of that, we've got then the systemic factors. And this is where I think I was going wrong. I was going too far down the rabbit hole of systemic factors and going it's all systemic um and the factors are all whether you're over um you're overweight smoke eat poorly um and and far less around any mechanical loading because we know that there are people with radiographic osteoarthritis with sy no symptoms and i don't think i got a satisfactory answer in the end from out of professor vincent and i don't know if it's it's not her area of expertise in all fairness um to to go asking those that down that route um and and i think i because of that i went too far and i started to ignore some of these the potential mechanistic mechanistic effects because as we as we found out it's damn complicated <laughs> and you know a lot of the things that she mentioned are things that have not come onto my radar from a biological effect i didn't know a lot of those things occurred or even existed um at the time which is why my brain was going so I think that brings in the mechanical effects and but like I say I don't what do we do with that information I don't know um at the moment as, and it's difficult yeah do you think it's um because it, there's a few reasons I can think of as to why you and and many of us would have moved more down that systemic effect but particularly for you as said rheumatology physio you can you can you can understand why 
I mean, you, I'd never, I, I thought that a couple of years ago, you would have been someone I expected to go down this route of OA just being an extension of RA, like this, this narrative that emerged, it was sort of a low grade version of it. And if we studied it far enough, you'd find blood-based markers. You'd also recognize that DMARDs and other corrective med medicines could, could do that. You were never convinced of that, even, and obviously, then you've been sort of justified in that hesitancy because the studies have never borne <laughs> good fruit there. But, but also, it makes sense for you to see it as being more systemic, in part because we know about adipokines. You've written extensively on that. We know about the fact that and this is what what's contentious for me is she was saying she didn't seem to give much credence to that and suggested that someone's paralyzed they don't get ONE. it needs some load is that because she's just meaning that that can be it, it's it's necessary it's necessary not sufficient but how does she account for OA thumb in otherwise idle people OA shoulder that we know occurs in in obese smokers more than it does in in, in otherwise well people even builders that are using their shoulders more that for me seemed like there's still so many questions around that where i think maybe for various reasons, she's so into the, the mechanistic literature, even though her background is as a, a rheumatologist. That, for me, feels like a, another podcast, either by us or others. Yeah, for sure. And I think there's a couple of components to that. So um, the systemic effects, let's go there first. <clears throat> so from my understanding, what she's then what she's saying is that they will um, further downregulate that restoration of the cartilage. So your the the adipokines and the, the increased systemic inflammation will reduce your body's ability to restore the cartilage. So you'll get a, a more of that disparity between turnover. If that makes sense, I think I'm making mm. sense. The the um, the non weight bearing joints is the way I'm currently justifying that in that there's not the high load, it actually, what she was saying, fits to me better than purely um, purely to do with systemic effects. Because if you think about the joints you just mentioned, the um, the shoulder um, and the thumb, and I, I will admit to not knowing very CMC biomechanics very well, but to me, they are inherently more unstable joints. So you would, you know, with a shoulder, you compare a shoulder range of motion compared to a knee. There's vast difference between the ranges of motion and the style of motion of that joint. And I think that actually what you're therefore getting is you're through the shoulder and your thumb, you're not getting compressive load as much. You're getting more shear. So now I don't want anybody to take this away as fact, please. <laughs> this is literally how my brain is, is going at the moment. And then if you then think about a lot of the, you know, I think about a lot of the things that Adam Meekins um, and Joe Gibson would treat the shoulder with, and it's weight bearing load, and you're getting compression into the joint. Um, and then we talk, uh, I talked about to Deb Stanton, and, and um, it's all with the thumb, it's about appropriate exercise and load. And you can, if you do grip in the wrong way, you can aggravate the joint, probably because you're of the way you're compressing or lack of compress of the joint. And I wonder whether those are actually factors that are leading to those. That's the load we're talking about in those joints. And if you imagine when, if I was to grip, the way that my thumb moves is sort of more lateral than it is in the knee, you'd get a more of a rotation. I wonder whether how, I wonder what impact that has. But again, that's literally me thinking, uh, just following my train of thought. I, don't, I haven't seen any 
any um any research to do that to, to say yeah yeah this is sort of an early hypothesis from you i mean it is as if we're just chewing it over jim isn't it as, as if as if we didn't plan this in any meaningful way and three minutes before we went live i sent you a link to try and bait you in now what that does mean is that i was planning on soloing this episode and therefore you've been able to give far more thoughtful analysis on this than i would but it also means that i made a little list of a few talking points of which we're going to cue me to just reflect on and, and, and ask the question so uh, here you are and, and i can't help but ask you but I'll also happily riff on it myself. Before I do, though, I want to just say that we've come on here today and there's been clearly a software update on the software that we use for this show. And now I can't click these comments that you normally put them up on screen. I need to work out how to use this thing again. So apologies to Rob Tyre, Katie Napton, James Armstrong and others that have posted some lovely comments that I would normally flash up on screen, but I can't seem to do that. Now, this chat overlay thing works. However, that weirdly doesn't seem to then bring on their comments so uh, look i'm sorry um usually this is more interactive I, I can read them but i can't share them i've come on here wearing a shirt and you can't even get comments on the screen you've got a shirt and i've got a hoodie on uh, it really is that i feel so underdressed um but and, and and his immaculate hair always puts me to shame james had said really interesting to hear jack march's thoughts uh, sorry jack march reflecting and voicing his thoughts and potentially changing his thinking that's not something we've ever been averse to but i suppose it is quite rare isn't it especially something as confrontational to our thoughts as that was is something that's fairly rare it was fairly abrupt wasn't it i mean we had a conversation i don't think we cried did we but we could well have done you know it was quite startling um but on that theme i wanted to sort of ask and also i'll, I'll happily share first is for me what this does is it really does change things in terms of policy or should change things in terms of policy especially because many we were always a bit cautious i'd say on this i know that sounds like a, just a bit of a cop-out but the idea that we kind of knew enough about our way what it is what it isn't in order to therefore mandate certain service structures or to say that this should be uh, triage if they're not ready for surgery or interventional care then this is something that they need to go into an escape pain style program that therefore doesn't need to be especially individualized barring a few variables there is a cookie cutter approach if ever there was one on pathology oa is oa and oa knee is oa knee and therefore this amount of sessions and the, the sort of dosage was something that was then pitched to the mean. And unlike patient centeredness across other more diverse conditions, this is something that there are enough people, enough similarities for it to probably work like that. And so this is what we do with regards to diagnosis. This is what we do with regards to messaging. This is what we do with regards to imaging. This is how many sessions your service needs to be developed for. This is the type of group you need to train them in this, the therapist in this particular way. This is the banding of which should deliver it. And this is the package of care cost price uh, for, uh, say, an NHS service or a private provider to deliver something like escape pay. That research I've always challenged as being something that was never pitched against a decent localized control group, which is difficult. So the pragmatic trials weren't necessarily against best practice other um, and, and in standard care versus that. And that I think maybe inflated those results. But above all else, on a policy level, I like to think that this work that's been done and this podcast that you put out there at least gives us enough clue that this is still such a moving picture that anything dogmatic like that or anything that's too rigid that then sets the scene for that we could end up regressing by years by by and needing a, a revamp and a reform from that right if we don't keep give services enough freedom to manage things 
as we're describing and to consider these variables and we go down this it's it's purely systemic if we can just get people moving and that we don't need to, to to concentrate on focal loading we're probably going to miss opportunities for somewhat interventional measures i mean i imagine it probably brings in uh other biomechanical interventions biomechanical interventions but like altering someone's focal loading by way of say orthoses or stick use or bracing or you know obviously a procedure was even mentioned wasn't it with regards to distraction and imagine that there was say a brace that came out that was able to apply some degree of distraction even modest compared to the surgical one but that is a game changer and if we end up creating services that have to comply within a narrow scope of the mean then that's going to really set us back isn't it and, and maybe we people perceive that that we've been championing a cookie cutter approach which i don't think is fair but um that was something i wanted to sort of i was going to be riffing on i just wonder what your thoughts are on, on the implications on policy i think that as we stand at the minute even with that podcast the uh, ignoring the dogmatism the the class-based approach for something like oane probably at the moment is the right way to go as long as the flexibility is in the system that as soon as the research that we've talked about bears fruit that we can assess for and appropriately treat those can be adjusted right and i suspect that what you'll get is you'll have you'll have subsets of patients with osteoarthritis. And this is what I think will happen. When you can measure shear force, you'll have some patients with osteoarthritis with a tiny amount of shear, and they respond to a generalized exercise program because actually their problem is systemic, right? Then you'll have patients who have a huge amount of sphere, shear, not sphere, shear, and they will respond to uh, biomechanical changing like bracing or um, specific you know, quadriceps strengthening, let's say, so they stabilize the knee, or it might even be proprioceptive. And I think, and then they will get a mix in the middle, right, of where, which will be, make the bell curve. There's no point putting those people that need that interventional medicine into a generalized exercise program. So as long as there's the flexibility within the system to allow for those new emergent groups, then we'll be okay we're a while away from that um and i suspect most people will need a combination of those things and like you say i don't think that even if we could measure shear forces and see the subgroups within them i don't think bracing is at a point where it could control them sufficiently as you said the intervention that um professor vincent mentioned i think that there is there is work the, it seems to have shown this restoration of cartilage being quite significant. But I think there's work to be done to say, is that worth going through the procedure, which was six weeks, or I think of um, of this fixed, it's an X fix essentially. So your knee can't flex, can't bend. So you're gonna get muscle wasting. If you, you can't drive, these patients are gonna be younger end of the spectrum. So they won't be able to drive. A lot of them won't be able to go to work, fun do their functional tasks, all these sorts of things. Or is that offset? Is that gonna be for the what you gain out of that? Is that gonna be worth it? And I think there's a lot of work to be done there. Um, and I don't- I think hope they've been doing, I hope they've been doing the repeat studies um, in lockdown because the social consequences will be far smaller yeah. now. Um, and so it would be really interesting to, to have that because if it's a kind of, 
But then similarly, that would cook the books in that direction, wouldn't it? Whereby the uh, deleterious effects are mitigated because of the social consequence we found ourselves in because of the pandemic. Therefore, that's not a fair test compared to in a couple of years' time or or beyond that. And we'd certainly need really long outcomes. Like, you know, if you were comparing, if you were comparing the number of people that ended up with a knee replacement for, let's say, that distraction therapy, X fix versus physiotherapy. You can imagine the number of people you would need in that study, and it's going to have to be 10, 15, 20 years as well, mm. um, duration. So I think we're a long way off that sort it of tickles, thing. It tickles me a little bit, though, because right in this moment, I think you're being the pragmatist and I'm being the guy that's obsessing over the mechanism <laughs> of effect, which is usually a role reversal thing for us, isn't it? <laughs> like you just stickler for mechanism of effect. I love that stuff, but I'm also sort of like, what's that look like on the ground? So let me just try and play devil's advocate on some of the stuff you've said with regards to the groups and stuff. Is that I think one of the big this is uh, this is that the, the mechanism of effect of those interventions is um, the fact that it's a good bang for your buck with regards to getting some strengthening, getting some social interaction, getting them moving, getting them building confidence. The psychosocial intervention of, of, of camaraderie that can occur there, as well as the fact that it starts to redress some qualify them for exercise and starts to redress some address some of the um, systemic factors that we've talked about and potentially even give some behavioral interventions on smoking and obesity, etc. Right. Fine. However, the psychological qualification for that engagement is often this perception that it ain't for it ain't for surgery and that would be quite significant often i think one of the motivating features that, that occurs in departments there is a bit of scaremongering over major joint surgery and it, like the people get carried away and infer that it kind of scares people away from knee replacements sometimes when they're even indicated that's one of the things i found in advanced practice it's kind of like i get why you want to try and mo- you know motivate someone who's got mild away need to, to not do that first line like they've got a few weeks worth of symptoms and they think they're in for a knee replacement that won't be appropriate and well i'm willing to pay for it and stuff like that where they're sort of forcing the hand and being a bit too rash but there's often sort of a moderate away which is kind of on the fence for a, a knee replacement he's willing to give something a go but he's then scared to death about something that's a really powerful and useful intervention in a knee replacement and got good outcomes but what i'm getting at with this is that there's some there is a sweet spot whereby someone's motivation for participation within a group thing like that is something that it, it, they're into an awful lot of car in a lot awful lot of options and i think that therefore what you were saying about groups is, is something that kind of gets a bit disqualified by the fact that there are more it does seem that there is more nuance to it. There's there's more individualized var- variation that could be occurring, not because we can suddenly measure shear forces, but we've got proxies for that, haven't we? If someone's got a history of major ligament disruption or uh, meniscal uh, meniscal tearing that, that may well, and we can even sometimes visibly see or, or to some degree measure if you fancy enough to have some sort of force plate or dynamic gait analysis or something that p- could potentially... You could conceive of, well, they're going to get more shear force and torsion because look at the literal tibial. Let's say someone's had a complex orif for something in the past, right? And they, we, we can sort of conceive of the fact that they're getting shear forces for that. The fact that we used to lump them into groups was this utilitarian approach to it, which was justified by pooling them because the interve- we only use these blunt tools. Whereas actually, if the more of the sharp tools, the more individualized tools come forward, then those group interventions shouldn't be as justified. And I suppose that's why 
I worry about that being baked into the system, but also something that justifies generic practice rather than person-centered care for, for a group of people that are overlumped into to category. I don't know if there's anything you disagree with there. No, I do agree. And I, and I think there's probably an argument to be made around the age of the patient that you're putting into those groups as well and why have they developed osteoarthritis at an early age versus a later age and once you get to you know 70 75 80 you can probably be more generic than than you can with someone who's 40 or 45 because you for for the one of a better phrase they don't need to live with that joint for as long and actually if if you they you send them to a uh, send them to a group and after six weeks, it's not making any difference and they go for a knee replacement, fine. But if, you, if you've got someone who's 40 or 45 and you send them for a generic group and it doesn't work after six weeks, and then you're sending them for a knee replacement, that's a really different kettle of fish. Um, that someone's then got to live with a knee replacement 40, 45, 50 years. You're, that's very different. And I think that that's a, it's something that I certainly don't have an, argue, an answer to but it's certainly something we need to consider. And the variables you're discussing there are probably slightly more complicated versions of that as well. So, you know, those people who have had a ligament disruption and are young, what do they need to do? The people that haven't had that, but they've got a real genetic component. So their dad had OA at 40 and now they've got OA at 40. What's the difference there? What do we need to do with them? Smokers, non-smokers, BMI, high, et cetera, et cetera. And I think the where the difficulty comes is that you will get a decent whatever we define that as benefit from from the cookie cut cookie cutter approach because it will it will yeah. address a number of factors which we know are involved so then you get this problem we get with a lot of the research at the moment around various different things is when we then go to specifics how much better will the specifics be than the generic because we can't target the specifics well enough um, and I think we all notice that you can really get ahead of the, the get the uh, cart ahead of the horse if you try and be specific with things. And then your research won't show an into a good benefit over generic because you're not targeting specifics appropriately. Um, so, yeah, well, we, could get, we could get sucked into the whole stratification debate yeah, again. Yeah. Um, and that's not necessarily what I'm advocating for. I know some people make a great case for it, by the way, so I'm not dismissing it. But that's actually not where I end up. Um, and I know it's not where you end up um, really on, on this typical, typically. Oh, it's the first time we've really got stuck into it on air at moment's notice. Uh, but I, I'm more, I'm, I kind of feel like I feel that water probably more than you because of my MSKR hat is that I see the fact that there are some local policies that are actually, that would be, re it would be really hard to turn that ship around, right? If, if, if one to two triage style advanced practice assessments were then to triage people into group intervention of which they need to see a course through and that it's only their their reaction to that intervention that qualifies them for surgery or not or evaluation as to whether they failed care and stuff right that's the it's too that's rigid not, that's a cookie cut not of a section of a cohort or a locality that is the that's what we do for our way full stop regardless of your age, et cetera, and all the variables we've talked about. And that that's not something that could be like, oh, well, we've, we've learned from quality service evaluation that that was a mistake, therefore we can walk it back quickly. It's like, well, no, that's probably inevitable. And because of passionate advocacy and the fact that the, um, 
that intervention is being funded directly for a period of time as being best practice means that it's something that could then mean that the, that the services and the system wouldn't be versatile enough. And that concerns me, certainly, as a, as a taxpayer. Um, apologies for those of you that have participated in this. I have not been able to bring your comments up on screen and questions up on screen because the system's changed. And so I'll look into this and, and have it ready for this tomorrow. Is you, this is where you don't take a week off because then the technology changes and now you're behind. Can't like, keep up. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, that is hilarious that, yeah, on, on my week off, they've updated it and truly changed its functionality. Now, fortunately, though, I don't think this has changed. I think the ability for me to show pictures <laughs> of the Active Force 2, which is available for just £300 at physio-matters.com forward slash AF2, I think that that, that function seems to, <laughs> seems to remain. Um, but, uh, yeah, we're, we're over time now. Thanks so much, mate, at a moment's notice. Um, and uh, And especially this this needs to be something we continue to to muse on i know we need to produce some f future material to to help uh, our hyperventilating audience to some extent on this because i can understand why it threw a lot of them off as it did us and we're uh, probably a few weeks ahead of them on on, on thinking about this so uh, thanks for those of you that have contributed to the conversation so far let's keep it going and uh, certainly chewing it over on clinical topics like this is something that i want to make sure we do fairly regularly so um and and probably at uh, more than three minutes notice if i do want you involved mate yeah that'd be ideal all right take care all right, um cheers. so yeah sh shield your ears mate Thank you.